0: Good morning. How are you all doing? I pray that you all are experiencing the blessings of the Lord. We have a lot to talk about this morning, and I don't want to belabor the time or the point on anything. I want to just jump right in. We're dealing with lessons from the soil, and this is really, really an important message, as are all the messages. So let's prepare our hearts to receive the word. I'm going to go to my knees for a word of prayer. If you'd like to, you can certainly join me. If you cannot kneel, you can just bow your head to where you are. But let's pray together at this time. Our Father in heaven, we are truly grateful, Lord, for another beautiful morning. And thank you for allowing us to get even a greater glimpse of the sunshine than yesterday. We pray that we will receive more and still more of it, as well as its healing rays. And Lord, as we are here tabernacling together, most importantly with you and your spirit, we just pray that you might truly bless us. And open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of your word. And this is our prayer that we do ask in the worthy and mighty name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen. 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 All right. When we deal with the subject of lessons from the soil, I was trying to find a picture many, many years ago. Uh, My oldest son is 23. Next up is Kayla, who is 22, And then you got Caleb, who's 21, and now you got Jada, who is 20. And, you know, I got a house filled with 20-year-olds. And I'm grateful for my children, and I remember way back when, before they even were hitting their teens, our first gardening experience. We had the privilege of getting a home out in the country in Georgia. And uh, when we were there, you know, I'm I'm a city kid through and through. I mean, I, I am from New York, and I am a New Yorker. And so, you know, I remember the first time using a chainsaw and and chopping wood and trying to put it in a wood stove. I'm like, what am I doing with a wood stove? You know, it's like, you know, it's just, you kind of have to get around all of that. And I remember when my boys, you know, we would have these raised beds and we had to learn how to till. I don't know if till is a bad word at this conference. I heard my wife came back and told me something about not tilling. Um, So I was like, all right, we're gonna have to talk about that, (laughs) you know. I spent all these years learning how to till. Don't take it away from me so quick. Nevertheless, yeah, (laughs) but you know, it's like, I remember, you know, my, my boys and everybody were all there just kind of working that soil and we, boy, did we get some good results. I mean, we got amazing results and it was, you know, just kind of like this first experience for us learning lessons from the soil. And, and it was kind of like before I was even looking into it, we've always believed in true education as, as a family, but you know, this was my first time becoming acquainted with the garden etc and agriculture and i realized there are lots and lots of lessons you can learn from the soil and so today we're just going to review three just three but please i assure you there's so much more and it is a wonderful thing to study you'll remember that we have the blessed herald the first second and the third angel's message All of these messages are relevant today, even though we're living in the time of the great emphasis of the third angel. The first and the second are most certainly still relevant. We need to talk about it in that first angels message. We know that we're told, you know, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth. to Every nation, kindred tongue and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. And watch that closing point. It says, and do something. What should we do? Worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, this is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. It is a command from heaven. God is calling his people to fear him, to give him glory, and to worship him who made, who created. Now, let's go to Psalm in verse Psalm eight, the eighth division of the Psalms. And I want us to watch something because there's a way, you know, you can tell people to worship God. You remember I gave us a little assignment yesterday where I talked about how, you know, we need to talk about how can we use object lessons in the inner city? Because I think we get it as far as in the country, but how can we go into an inner city And work with the people now yes we're called to be like enoch you know going to the cities and always bring somebody back home amen oh that was a weak amen see listen you know people in the country they make me laugh sometimes we make painstaking effort to get out of the city into the country and then when we're in the country we spend more time indoors than outdoors and the same thing goes for conferences you know it's like no the, the conference has to be in a country location And then people don't have enough time because there's meeting after 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 meeting meeting to even get time to enjoy the country location that we made painstaking efforts to get into. (laughs) Now, brothers and sisters, all I'm simply saying is if you're going to move into the country, you should do it under God's blueprint. You should understand what God says. And he did not give us country homes so we could be selfish with it. We are supposed to understand that when we get out of the city into the country and we develop our little, watch these words, heavens on earth. Is that what your home looks like? If it doesn't look like that, you got more work to do. Huh? That was always what God wanted for our homes to be a little heaven on earth. So watch this. Imagine your home in the country is a little heaven on earth. Now, when you go into those cities You could say, hey, I need you to come with me. And the people in the inner cities are like, where are we going? And we say, to heaven. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what God wants for every single one of us. I remember when my children were little, we were in our little country retreat there in Georgia. And I remember that we went out into the city and we did a health meeting. And we did this message, health reform and the third angel's message. And it was an an evangelistic meeting. It was a meeting for non-seventh-day Adventists. But we were going over some of these principles of the first, the second, and the third angel's message and why it's relevant to all people. We had people from all sorts of backgrounds come out. One of them was a Muslim family, Sunni Islam. And they came out there because the wife was sick and she wanted to know how to get help beyond what the doctors could provide. And so here it is, we were doing the meetings, and I said, how many of you would like a free one-on-one health and lifestyle consultation? What word did I emphasize? You already win most people when you (laughs) say free. I'm just letting you know, meet people where they're at. If you just simply say free, automatically you peek their ears. So that lady raised her hand, I came to her house, and I began to do a health consultation with her. And as I did that health consultation, her husband sat in. And as they were sitting in, I remember that we were talking about health and lifestyle and the ways that, you know, food affects the body and lifestyle, all these things. She was loving it. She says, I've never heard this in my life. And then I said, yeah. Now, she said, so you're saying meat can cause a problem. And I was like, well, here's some of the problems. I showed her. I had some science books with me and everything. She looked at all of it. And then the sister said, so we need to get off the meat. And then she said, I'll do it. And she looked at her husband and he said, yes, we will do it. And then she says, let's do it now. And then she runs to the refrigerator and she grabs a big garbage bag. And then she just starts dumping it. And the husband's like, wait, wait, let's eat it first. And, And I mean, just the way he said it, I can never forget that. You know, you're in a consultation, you gotta be professional, but boy, did I wanna laugh. That was a funny scene. And he's just, you know, let's eat it first. And I didn't say anything. I said, Lord, whatever they decide. But then I said, listen, We'd like to have you come to our home. I said, come to our home. We're going to show you how to cook this food. We're going to show you how to make good, healthy food. And man, they agreed. Their whole family came to our house. My children taught their children scripture songs. I remember asking, I said, are you okay with this? And they said, oh, yes, 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 that's fine. Please, we want them to learn. So my children were teaching their children scripture songs. My wife took his wife and began to do the cooking. I took him on a nature walk on the property and I just said, all right, Lord, we're going to give him double trouble. I'm going to talk the word and nature's going to speak to him at the same time. Amen. And so we were just talking. And at the end of it all, we prayed. They joined us for family worship. And they simply said, now, I assure you, we, we were we, we were and are still a very imperfect people. I am a work in progress. I promise you, God is still working on me. But for them, even in the midst of being a work in progress, that man said, you know, we've never been in a Christian home like this. And they said, you know, he just began to speak so much about God, about Jesus, about Christianity, all positive. Of course, we gave them some parting gifts. You know, Great controversy. I said, I think you'll like the first chapter. <laughs> Any of you who know what I do, I'm talking about, what, what, what religion was this man? Muslim. What's the first chapter in Great Controversy? The destruction of Jerusalem. Hey, he who wins souls is wise. Whatever way you can get him to read it, get him to read it. And so here it is that he's looking, destruction, ooh. <laughs> you know, he saw destruction of Jerusalem. But he doesn't understand what God got in store for him when he finishes reading that chapter. And I remember my wife and children and I, we all came together back for worship. And I said, children, I said, do you know what we did today? They said, what do we do, dad? I said, we experienced the life of Enoch. I said, we went into the cities. We ministered there and we took the people back to our home and ministered unto them. And brothers and sisters, that's why God gave you your country retreat. And listen, what the Lord gives, he can take away. So I would like to recommend if you are blessed with a country retreat, you remember why God gave it to you. And you go ahead and you serve. Now, in Psalm, the eighth division, let's notice what the Bible says. Here's something that we can do that can help people to worship God better. Let's look at Psalm. We're looking at the eighth division. We'll consider the whole thing because it's not very long. In Psalm eight, here's what the Bible says, starting at verse one. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What prompted this spirit of adoration in the heart of the psalmist. What prompted the spirit of adoration? Was he adoring God? Was he, was he truly adoring the creation of God? Oh, yes. Is, is he not adoring God himself? How excellent is your name in all the earth? Says it twice. What motivated him to do that? The more he studied the things that God created, it prompted his mind to be more inclined to worship. And so when we look at that first angel's message that says worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea, one of the things God wants us to remember, it's easier to do when we behold his glory in the earth, in the sea, and in the heavens. Are you getting it? And so it's because of this that just in our study, we're just doing a little bit of the study on the earth, the soil. It's where it all begins. All the beauty of of all the things that we see, it all started right there as it relates to the soil. And they are powerful lessons. The same way we learned yesterday that when we look at the heavens, we see that it reveals the things of God, the glory of God. It reveals the character of God. And that's what we saw yesterday when we looked at Psalm 19, 1 through 4. In addition to that, I like this one. How many of you are familiar with the text in Psalm 77 and verse 13 that says, Thy way... Oh, God is in where? Ah, look at that. A present truth crowd. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you. And we know that that way is referring to Christ and the way of salvation. Isn't that right? Okay. And of course, his ministry. Now watch this. Did you know just a few verses down in that same Psalm 77, did you know that it also says thy way, O oh God is in the seas? Just a few verses down, Psalm seventy-seven, nineteen. 19. In other words, the same way that God's way is found in the sanctuary, therefore study the sanctuary and learn the way. Did you know that if we spent more time studying the seas and the waters, Jesus equated his own voice to the waters in the book of Revelation. Like many waters. I remember one time I went to a beach in Bermuda and I had some downtime. I was doing meetings, but I had a downtime. And preachers love downtime because we don't get a lot of it. And I remember that when I was there, you wouldn't believe it my mind and my body sometimes get so overworked I get so engrossed in this work that I need a break and most ministers do because I've I've seen ministers burn out all the time it was it was I think yours brother Wahlberg was 17 but my mental meltdown was 16 and I remember when I went through my mental meltdown I went through a nasty mental meltdown it was terrible and then here it is, shortly after that, my friend called me and said, hey, man, you got to listen to Steve Wahlberg's thing, I Can't Sleep. You know, you got to check it out because he, it sounds like he almost went exactly through the same thing you went through. And then as I listened to your testimony, it encouraged me even more. In other words, sometimes we as ministers of the gospel, we take those words of God seriously in 1 John three sixteen, that as Christ gave his life, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And sometimes we do it to our own hurt because we can become intemperate. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you the truth. I remember going on that beach and just getting the chance to relax. And you probably wouldn't believe what I did. You might even say, oh, what a waster of time. Boy, is he prodigal. I sat on a beach for four hours and all I did was watch that water just go back and forth, and back and forth. And I said, Lord, you said your voice is like the many waters. Teach me. And boy, did God show me some wondrous things out of his law. So even in the seas, we can learn so much about God. And obviously, because of that, evidently, <laughs> evidently, we should study the earth or the soil because there's lessons in there, too, for us. So when he calls us to worship him that made these things, as we study these things, like the psalmist, it should prompt us more and still more to. To worship in spirit and in truth, our beloved creator. So what are some lessons we can get from the soil? What are some things that we can get? There's lots of things that we can learn about soil. This is just a slight bit of science. You guys are more the experts than me on this. I mean, I just, you know, like a light switch, you know, I just flip it open and enjoy the fruit. And in like manner, you know, I read books. I mean, when I first learned about gardening, again, I'm a kid from New York. And when I first learned about gardening... I, I, I was very practical with it. I said, look, I don't know how to garden, all right? I grew up in the concrete jungle of New York City. If we saw a blade of grass, we were like, wow. I mean, it was like nothing, okay? Nothing. So in growing up in that kind of environment, I remember that now I'm, I'm in the country, I got like some acreage and I have no idea what to do. I'm scared to go outside at night because it's too dark. I'm like used to night lights, you know, the street lights. And there's no streetlights, and it's just black. You know, it's like I can't see my hand in front of my face. So there was a lot to get used to, bugs and all sorts of stuff. Now, I, I knew we had, to, we had to do gardening. So I said, all right, I'm going to be practical with this. I found a video called Planting by the Blueprint. And it was talking about planting fruit trees from third selected messages where Ellen White uh, learned from an angel how to plant fruit trees and get all this great fruit. I said, well, I want fruit trees. So... You know i'm gonna do it do you know what i did got you know my backyard from the house to the backyard is pretty long so i bought a big extension cord hooked it up took it all the way to the backyard had a shovel walked to the back new yorker and i'm just like i'm gonna figure this thing out (laughs) plugged in my computer put the dvd in this is when the computers were thicker and they had dvd players Put the DVD in. And I was like, all right, Father, please be with me. You know, said a prayer. And then I was like, play. Do such and such and such. Pause. (laughs) And literally, that's how I learned gardening. (laughs) Just play, pause, experiment. Play, pause, experiment. But we ended up getting some nice fruit trees. I mean, good sugar content, all that stuff, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. But here's the point. That's what I know how to do. You know, press, play, pause. You know, I'm good with that. But some of you are very deep, and, and I get it. So I'm not going to go too deep into this part. I'm just giving a simple little fact, you know, just one of the facts about soil. So here's some of the things that I learned. It says soil scientists have identified over 70,000 kinds of soil in the United States. That's way too much for me to study. It says soil is formed from rocks and decaying plants and animals. An average soil sample is 45% minerals, 25% water, 25% air, and 5% organic matter. Different sized mineral particles such as sand, silt, and clay give soil texture. You have a little source there if you want to go deep and you want to read it. If you disagree with it and you want to challenge it, please go to them. But nevertheless, little facts on soil, right? It's, it's just loaded with a lot of stuff that we need in order to live and to thrive. But now what we want to do is take some lessons from this soil, not just simply know facts about it, of what's in it, but what's in it for me. That's a different one, isn't it? What's in it, not merely, but what's in it for me? What, what lessons can I learn from soil? And one of the first lessons we're going to look at about soil is as you know, it relates to what does God want me to know or understand? Because in the parable of Matthew 13, you'll remember that Jesus likens the human mind to soil. He likens it to soil. And then he talks about all the different seeds and what happens when they get planted. And then, of course, the things that happens thereafter. So the Bible does equate our hearts to soil. And that's why I can't not wait to go over with you the wheat and the tares we're going to learn some powerful stuff from that because God equates our hearts to soil and there's some serious lessons to learn now when we look at lesson number one the first lesson we're going to focus on is health health when we look at the soil there are lessons we can learn just simply on the subject of health health and family are my favorite topics to study and to teach in the context of last day events i love talking about health and the family and so this is where you know this is this this thing gets a little passionate for me when we deal with the subject of health you remember that god created man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became something what did man become Man became a living soul. Now, please keep in mind that, you know, we come from the soil. We come from the earth. We are walking soil activated. We're activated. And that's why, you know, soil shouldn't waste time comparing itself among itself, because at the end of the day, we're all dirt. And, you know, it's like, well, I'm dark dirt. Well, I'm red dirt. I'm tan dirt. I'm softer than you. Well, I'm more harder than you. I'm more moldable. Well, I flow freely. I mean, come on, give me a break. At the end of the day, how much are we going to get caught up in this stuff? That's why, you know, these elements of racism and all this foolishness, it should not even be named once amongst the saints. At the end of the day, we're all a bunch of dirt in just different shades. May God help us to remember these principles. The Bible is very clear. We all come from the soil right now. What's a good lesson we can learn about this? One of the lessons we can learn about this is to remember many of the elements from the dust is actually found in us. What are we talking about? Magnesium, phosphorus, right? Calcium, potassium, sodium, iron, iodine, chlorine and sulfur. These things are already in the soil. And then what happens is when you and I partake of things that comes from the soil, it now begins to work out its way inside of our bodies. And that's why I want you to look at that bottom paragraph. Therefore, we should choose foods that come from a root system. Because of the fact that the nutrients that are in the soil are the very nutrients that we need to literally live and thrive and move and have our being. Because of this, this is why we should consume foods that come from a root system. Now, somebody may say, well, can't we just eat bowls of dirt? And there might be somebody strange in this room that would say yes. I pray that you're not here. (laughs) But we should not eat dirt. Because at the end of the day, though the soil has lots of those nutrients, they're in an inorganic state. And what we need to do is have it be converted from inorganic to organic. And then that's when we can partake of the fruit that grows thereof. But that requires a conversion process. Isn't that right? And so what God is trying to communicate is that when we learn about the soil, God is saying there are things that I want to put in you. That can help to change you. It's going to require a conversion process, but this is the only way that you can bear fruit. You see, we should choose food that comes from a root system because that's where the nutrients comes through and ultimately to you and to me so we can enjoy all the blessings as the soil is filled with nutrients. So our bodies should be with nutrient filled with nutrients that comes from the soil. And this is why we advocate as much as is practical and possible a whole food, plant-based diet. That's the whole reason why we do it. Because God always knew, even in Psalm 104, right there in verse 14, that it says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, and the herb. For the service of man. Notice he causes the herb to grow for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth. The word service literally means to minister. So when God was doing that, he was saying, listen, this is one of the reasons why the same way that the soil is filled with nutrients. God says you are walking soil and I want you to be filled with nutrients. And the only way that you and I can get those nutrients is we must get the food that comes from the soil. And so when I study the soil in and of itself, I can begin to see these are lessons that God wants me to learn. And I can look at it not just from the practical, but also from the spiritual. Because the same way that you have your magnesium and your phosphorus and all of these nutrients and elements in the soil that provide so much benefit, Oh, my brothers and sisters, how much more shall you and I glorify God when we have the greatest nutrient of all, spiritually speaking, his Holy Spirit within? When we have that spirit of God, we are empowered and we are enabled to bear spiritual fruit, the fruit of God's character, which is ever so desperately needed in such a time as this. I am personally done. Once upon a time, I used to be amazed by people who could quote Bible verses from memory. That's how I joined the church 30 plus years ago. When I joined the church, if I heard a brother, you know, breaking down the Bible and spitting out Bible verses from memory, I would say, wow, what manner of man are you? How do you do that? And then one day I remember going to North Carolina and I went to North Carolina and not only did I hear a man quoting Bible verses, but the brother was quoting the spirit of prophecy. He was quoting Ellen White quotes and he did it from memory and he would say the book, the page and the paragraph. I said, man, this guy must be sitting next to Jesus. How does he do that? And I remember you, I, I used to be so startled by these things, right? But I discovered something, especially when I when I when I started working in ministry, it is possible to quote Bible verses through and through. It is possible to know many spirit of prophecy quotes through and through. It is possible to preach, teach and baptize and be a 100 percent bona fide devil. I'm talking 100% undiluted, Satan. And in my mind, I began to realize, like, Lord, you know, what Jesus is, he's a fruit inspector. He's a fruit inspector. He's not looking for profession. He's not looking for acting. He's looking for fruit. And he wants to see, what's the fruit that's coming out of your life? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your children? How do you deal with annoying customer service representatives? How do you treat people? And often we will find that it's possible to know a whole lot of Bible and be an absolutely ugly person. I believe that ugly is not a look, it's a character. I don't think anybody's ugly, it's somebody for everybody. Big nose, big lift, big head, doesn't matter. Somebody's gonna love you, somebody will be with you. That's not an issue. The issue is when you got an ugly character, a character that is unchristlike. And so what God is saying is he says, I want that fruit. So even though there's good health lessons that we can get from the soil, the importance of putting in nutrients in the body, et cetera, the same way the soil contains nutrients, the same way my body should contain nutrients. God wants you to be healthy. But brothers and sisters, more than being healthy, he wants you to be holy. And that only comes from receiving the best nutrient that heaven could ever offer to mankind. And that is the spirit of Christ. The more that we have the spirit of God within our hearts, the more that that wonderful seed is planted within. This is how we can overcome even our most hereditary and highly cultivated tendencies. And, you know, you got them. And I do, too. And God wants to change that. And by his grace, he can change that. This is why lesson number two is very appropriate. In lesson number two. The other lesson God wants us to learn Is that without him, we can do nothing. You see, soil is useless. I I had a friend who was in Africa, and she said, Dwayne, she said, you would be amazed at this soil. She said, man, it's like you could just walk on the soil and just throw a seed in the air, and it's just gonna have a tree pop out of it. (laughs) It's just filled with so much of this, that, and the other, and da da da. I said, okay, that's great. But you know what I learned? Soil is useless without the seed. You can have the greatest soil in the world, but if you don't put a seed in it, it's useless. It's kind of like, you know, the same way we have libraries. We have libraries. We, we buy all the Spirit of Prophecy books, color-coded, numerically ordered. And we place it where as soon as people walk through the house, they'll say, ooh, that person studies. Two things I like doing when I enter a person's home, just in case you let me in your house. I'm going to tell you right now. Two things I love to observe in a person's home. Pictures and their libraries. Pictures and their libraries. And, you know, you you can learn a lot from a person's library. You know, you can learn a lot. But it's not about having a pretty library. It's not about having a nice display. The question is, how many of those books did you take off the shelf? How many of those books did you read and digest the principles of truth that were in it and allow it to bring about a sanctifying effect on your life? That's the question. And so the second lesson that we must remember about soil is no matter how good it looks. If the seed is not inside, eventually it will shrivel. Eventually, you're not going to get any good fruit. And God wants us to understand that another lesson from the soil is that without him, the seed that is planted within the heart. I cannot produce fruit. I need Christ in me, the hope of glory. You see, that's what Jesus was trying to say when he said, without me, you can do nothing. It was in Galatians chapter three and verse 16 that it referred to Jesus as the seed. And we need to realize, and this is why sometimes we fail so much in our homes. We fail so much in our church leadership. We fail so much in our business and in our friendships. God is trying to say, don't you realize that you're trying to do something you cannot do in and of yourself? You need Christ in you. You need the seed. And I don't know about you. You ever tried loving an unlovable person? It's not easy. And we're all phenomenal actors. I get it. Some of us definitely could get the Academy Award. I got it. I understand. I <laughs> understand. But brothers and sisters, God says, listen, I got something more special for you than that. God doesn't want you to be actors. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, you'll remember that Jesus had to give a scathing rebuke to all of those Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. One day I looked up that word hypocrite. And in the Greek, the word hypocrite means actor. Actor. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were. They were actors. So when they were in the church, praise the Lord, brother. Hey friend, they use all the nice and flowery words and all of that stuff, but let that brother start annoying you a little bit. Let them start getting on your nerves. I had an anti-Trinitarian try to bother me one time. He kept, you know, he just wouldn't leave me alone. And I, cause I didn't want to deal with it. I was just like, look, if you believe what you believe, good for you, my friend. But it's like, I don't believe what you believe. Oh no, but you need to believe what I believe. No, I don't. It's like, seriously, no, I don't. Oh, no, you must. And, but, but he didn't start out like that. It started out like this. Brother Lemon, do you have a moment? <laughs> now, notice my tone of voice and notice my body posture. You know, this is a symbol of lowliness. So he's like, may I talk with you, please? Notice the soft voice. I was like, sure. What you got? Well, you know, you said something about the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to talk to you about that, brother. He's calling me brother a lot. And I was just like, okay, what you got? And then he starts going in on his anti-Trinitarian jargon. And when he's done, I'm just like, well, you didn't finish the quote. He was like, what do you mean? I said, you just quoted Ellen White, but you didn't finish the quote. If you go further down in the quote, you'll see that she actually said this. And I began to correct what he was sharing. As I began to correct that brother, he said, no, I, I don't see it. I said, I'm not sure why you don't see it. I said, it's right there, pretty much in plain language. I said, I see it. And that's why I hold the position I hold. And then all of a sudden he says, you're not listening. (laughs) Wow. All of a sudden his back is just fine. There's no more of this. Now it's here. And all of a sudden his voice is getting all strong and aggressive and everything. And I was like, what happened to you? I said, you were just bending low and speaking with that soft voice. And now here you are yelling at me. And he was just like, (laughs) You know, I got off the Trinitarian subject. I said, listen, if you know so much about the Holy Spirit, why are you not bearing his fruit right now? I said, you're being mean and you're being pushy and you're being obnoxious. And that is not indicative of one who has the spirit of the living God. I think before you worry about whether he's a force or this, that and the other, you need to understand his character. Because even if you're right on the technicalities, but wrong on the substance, you're lost. God wants us to understand we can all act I get it we can all act we can talk the praise the Lord happy Sabbath jargon but there's some dark stuff in our hearts and the only way that dark stuff is going to get uprooted is we need the seed we need that seed to be planted in our soil we need to have that blessed beautiful mind of Christ And one of the number one things you can do, simple as it may be, is, Lord, save me. You think you can say that prayer? I I know somebody who said that prayer. And that was enough for him to be delivered when he was sinking fast and furious. Lord, save me. Please speak to my heart. Bring about a change that can help me to be a Christian. You ever heard that song? Lord, I want to be a Christian. In my heart, in my heart, brothers and sisters, that's the goal, but it cannot happen except the seed be in that soil. Another lesson we learn from the soil is while it can have all sorts of beautiful looks and beautiful imagery and beautiful smells and all these other things, it needs the seed in order to produce the fruit. Let us not get caught up in the externals and the professions. Let us plead with God. Lord, bring a change in my heart that I can even love the unlovable. God can do it. Our final lesson, lesson number three. In lesson number three, we see some good points here. This is the lesson of patience. The lesson of patience. The first lesson we learned is a lesson from health. The soil teaches us the importance of being healthy, both physically and spiritually. The second lesson we learned is that the soil, though it may look wonderful, smell wonderful, and etc., without the seed, it cannot produce the fruit that is necessary. In like manner, though I give all sorts of professions and so on, I need the seed of Christ in my heart. Our third lesson is the lesson on patience. Sometimes... We get frustrated in our Christian journey. Sometimes we're waiting to see, Lord, when is this thing finally going to work for me? I've been praying and I've been studying and I've been doing all these things, but I'm not seeing the change that I want to see in my life. And I'm working with a lot of young people right now in my uh, church, and we got a wonderful group of young people, 20 to 35 on fire for God. That's a hard age group to reach. But we see a lot of young folks that get frustrated. They hear all these present truths, victory over sin, et cetera. And they want they're waiting to see, well, when is this going to work out in my life? Because I see Satan dominating my life. It seems like it's not working. I'm not falling in love with Jesus like I thought, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes I want us to learn that lesson as God wants us to learn that lesson of patience. Be patient. You see, even the Bible taught us in Mark four in verse twenty eight and twenty nine for the earth brings forth fruit of herself. It does bring forth the fruit, but how does it do it? It says, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. And then he promises, but when the fruit is brought forth, what's the next word? Immediately, he put it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Sometimes brothers and sisters, Maybe you're not that far from the kingdom after all. I had a young person come to me. They said, I try all the time. I keep failing. I don't know why. It seems like I'm, I'm constantly being overcome. And he's crying with tears and all these things. And just wondering, Brother Lemon, am I lost? Is God going to save me, et cetera? And he's asking me all these questions. And I, I said to him, I said, son, I said, listen, man. I said, the fact that you're even here talking about this with tears in your voice wanting to have a stronger walk with God, but recognizing the struggle. I said, you already please him. Just the fact that you're even trying. Yes, you're in the struggle. No, you have not arrived. Yes, you find yourself kind of on the journey, falling down. On the journey a little bit more, falling down. And here you are getting discouraged and rather what you can be is encouraged because you're still striving. You're still pushing. You're not giving up. Son, hold on. Let's learn a more perfect way we can fight. But the answer is not to turn from the fight. And I can't tell you how many of my brothers and sisters, young people especially, that I'm going through with this. Sometimes we have to remember that, listen, we are a work in progress, and it does take time. And I get it. You know, balancing urgency and waiting can be challenging. I understand that. We need it. I, I, tell the, I tell the young people as well as the adults, I said, one of the things I noticed different from East Coast Adventism versus West Coast, in the West Coast, it, it's, it's like there's no urgency. I just don't see it. Like, I'm used to seeing it in the East Coast, big time. But I said, something I keep noticing in the West Coast, I said, West Coast Adventism, I was like, I just don't see any urgency. It's kind of like everybody is really comfortable, especially this Northern California side. Everybody's kind of comfortable in their intellectual understanding of the truth. But when it becomes like practical, like, OK, when we get off the pulpit, you know, who are you now? It's like there's, there's something missing and it's very concerning for me. Very concerning. Urgency. And so I believe we need more urgency, but we need to know how to channel that urgency. The urgency is not hurry up, fix yourself. The urgency is hurry up and submit to Christ. That, that's the urgency. Hurry up and submit to Christ. Go to him. Learn of him. Pursue him. And if any obstacles get in your way, like they did in the days of John the Baptist, press through it. So we have to now kind of show them some different things that that helps balance them out. But my brothers and sisters, even James said it. He says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath what? Long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. God is not a God that wants to waste time. I get that. God is not a God that just says, oh, just take all the time you need, because we do believe time is almost finished. But I have seen fanaticism connected to some of that expression. Sometimes we can press the Lord is near, the Lord is near, in such a way that we begin to cause people to go into a state of desperation. I had a young lady come to me, 35 years old. She says, I finally give my heart to the Lord, but I've been listening to all these present truth messages and now I feel like I'm lost and I'm not going to make it. I said, sister, let not your heart be troubled. I said, listen, if God waited for you for 35 years just to get you here, do you think he's now going to abandon you when you finally have acknowledged him and now you're ready to walk with him and you're just trying to learn how to do it? The soil teaches us patience. The soil teaches us listen, the precious fruit will come. You put everything in place, everything's in place. You put all the nutrients in, you put everything in, you did everything. But now comes the hard part. You have to wait. You have to wait for the fruit. And first comes the blade, and then comes the ear and then will come the full corn in the ear. This is how inspiration puts it. The work of sanctification is the work of a lifetime. The true Christian must be unresting in his endeavors. He is ever climbing, never content with that to which he has attained. The more he seeks a knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, the more he desires to reflect the divine image. Every gift imparted to him by God is used to draw others in the same line to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The longer he walks in the path of self-denial and self-sacrifice, the more willing he is to hide himself in Christ and sacrifice all for him. Review and Herald, October 3rd, 1899. Let not your heart be troubled. There are some who are playing games with God. I would like to recommend game is over. Do not play games with God. If you know that you are playing games and you're not serious about the Lord, you have much to be fearful of. But there are some people I know that are not playing games with God. They're trying to genuinely walk with him. They love him and they just want to learn how to love him better and love him more. And sometimes you get frazzled and you get concerned because you're not seeing the fruit that you believe should be in your life right now because time is almost finished. And I'm just simply here to say, family, Don't allow your heart to go into perplexity. We serve a loving God who is very patient with us. We must learn to balance the patience with urgency and bring them to a perfect match. And our God knows how to do this. And I'm just letting you know, sanctification is a work of a lifetime. What's important is that you're on the journey. And the more that you know is the more that you'll do. And again, where's our urgency lie? Running to the only one who truly can save us. And prepare us for these times. So I'm telling you right now, your country location is not going to save you. We have stories in the Bible where men went into the temple and held on to the altar and still got killed. No location saves us. Country living, agriculture, all of these things are fruits of righteousness. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the root, and we can never forget that. Do not think because I got a country location. Because I'm off grid and because I'm a master gardener, I am really ready for the Lord. That would be a tragedy. May we have proper balance and proper cooperation with God and may his name be glorified. I have a question. How many of us understood our study? Did you understand the study? Is it your desire to take these lessons from the soil and make them more a reality in your life? If it is, please stand to your feet with me. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for these lessons we have learned from the soil. We pray in the name of Jesus that you will please help us to receive the lessons in our heart in proper biblical balance. And may your name be honored and glorified and may we be edified. And may we truly be a people prepared to meet our God and bear the fruit of righteousness that you are waiting for. And finally, we can go home with thee. Keep us faithful to this, end. we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.